basically this chart uh, will give you a bird's eye view of what we're going to be studying in the next six sessions. Uh, it has a synthesis, chronological synthesis of what we're going to take a look at here in this class. We are going to uh, not study separate subjects. We're going to build at each additional session onto what we study in the previous session. So in other words, you need to plan to be here all the way through or else you're only going to have half of the story. And uh, I'd like to underline also that what we're going to study is uh, very much in depth. Uh, it's not uh, a study of Daniel 2, which we know very well. It's, uh, it's a complex subject. Uh, so it will be helpful if you have uh, some knowledge, uh, particularly of the prophecy of Daniel 8, and um, actually the prophecies of Daniel uh, 2, 7, 8 and 9, and 11 and 12. I'd just like to say before we get into our material that you have in your syllabus what we're going to be studying. That should make it easier for you. Uh, today we're going to study about Daniel's little book. And I'm going to follow the material very closely that you have in your syllabus. And uh, I'll add a few thoughts here and there. But uh, I've written it out so that you have it there for future reference so that you can continue studying it. Uh, before we do get into our study, I would like to uh, ask all of you to remember to pray for uh, our school, our university in the country of Venezuela. Uh, I just finished a week of prayer there uh, and got home on Tuesday. I was there all last week. Uh, as you know, Venezuela has a president that was elected constitutionally. However, he has become a dictator in office. And um, he's expropriated several um, pieces of land that belong to rich people right around our school. And there are all sorts of rumors swirling around that uh, he's about to lay hands on our university and expropriate it. Basically, what that means is the government comes in with troops and they steal the school and then they give it to the poor people in the community. You know, so it's basically Robin Hood stealing from the rich to give to the poor. And so uh, let's pray that the Lord will uh, put his protecting hand upon our school. Uh, it has about 1,200 uh, university students. And that's a beautiful, phenomenally beautiful school. I have several pictures in my um, phone if you would like to look at them. Actually, I have several hundred pictures. Um, wonderful people, wonderful students, but we need to pray that the angels will uh, stand guard over our university and that it will continue to function uh, to prepare young people to share the gospel. Now let's have a brief word of prayer and then we'll get right into our material. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of being here at Army. There's no better place to be in the world. Amen. We thank you, Father, for the spirit of fellowship, for the spirit of love that we've sensed here at this place. And we ask, Lord, that uh, as we study these uh, very intense prophecies, that your Holy Spirit will be with us to instruct us. Uh, give us understanding, Father, and not only understanding, but also give us willing hearts to realize that we are a people of destiny that you have chosen to share your end time message with the world. And we thank you, Father, for hearing us, for answering our prayer, for we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Okay, let's get into our material. What I'd like to finish today, if possible, is the first section of your syllabus which is titled Daniel's Little Book. And as I mentioned, I'm going to go through this material quite uh, closely. And um, as we go along, I might add uh, something here and there. Now, the book of Daniel is actually two books in one. The book of Daniel contains actually two books. And I believe that the first book is contained in Daniel 1 through 7. That is a complete unit in itself. Daniel chapter 1 through chapter 7. And these seven chapters are organized in what is known as a chiastic structure. And so I want you to examine a candelabrum that has, of course, uh, three branches. And uh, we'll make Daniel chapter 1 the, the foundation or the introductory chapter. And then when you get to Daniel chapter 2 and 7, these chapters uh, deal with the same subject matter. Daniel 2 deals with uh, metals, and Daniel 7 covers the same material using beasts. They have the same theme. And then when you get to Daniel 3 and Daniel 6, those chapters have a very close thematic link. Because in Daniel chapter 3, you have persecution uh, of the three young men over worship. And in Daniel 6, you also have persecution of Daniel because of worship. Now, there's a different nuance there. Uh, actually, these two stories illustrate the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause of our Constitution. Uh, because in J Daniel chapter 3, the civil power is trying to establish religion. In other words, it's saying you have to worship this way. In chapter 6, it's a little different because the king is forbidding the free exercise of religion. He's saying you, you can't pray for a period of 30 days to anyone else. So uh, this clearly illustrates what happens when the civil power establishes religion and forbids the free exercise of religion. The, and, and that's why I say that the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States was uh, almost divinely inspired, I believe. Uh, because the First Amendment not only guarantees th that Congress will not make a law establishing religion or forbidding the free exercise of religion, but also the First Amendment contains full civil rights. It continues by saying that uh, people have freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of the press, and freedom to request that the government uh, redress grievances. And so, really, you have in the First Amendment the two horns like a lamb that are mentioned in Revelation 13 and verse 11. So these two chapters are very closely linked. And then chapters 4 and 5 are also closely linked. Uh, because they deal with the fall of Babylon and Babylon's leader. In Daniel chapter 4, you have the fall of the leader because of his pride. In Daniel chapter 5, you have the fall of the kingdom because of the pride of another king, Belshazzar. And so basically what we have in Daniel 1 through 7 is a complete unit in itself. Daniel 8 through 12 is another unit in itself. And probably you're aware of the fact that uh, Daniel 8 through 12 is in Hebrew. And Daniel chapter 2 verse 4 approximately through Daniel 7 is in Aramaic. That itself shows that there's a distinction 
between Daniel uh, 2 through 7 and Daniel chapter 8 through 12. Uh, so uh, the first part of Daniel is what I call the first book within the book of Daniel. We're not going to talk about this particular book. We're going to talk about the second book, about the book that uh, is found in Daniel chapter 8 through chapter 12. Now, having said that, I would like to say that the, that the last portion of Daniel chapter 7 introduces the second book in the book of Daniel. It introduces uh, the, the judgment aspect. And uh, you'll notice in your material that I have here reviewed Daniel 7 with its emphasis on the sequence of powers. And uh, we'll do this quickly. In Daniel 7 we have a lion, which is which kingdom? Babylon. Then we have a bear, which kingdom? Medo-Persia. Then we have a leopard, that represents Greece. Greece. Then we have a dragon beast, which represents what? Rome. Then that uh, dragon beast sprouts ten horns. What does that represent? The fact that uh, Rome was divided into ten kingdoms by the barbarian invasions. And then among the ten you have the little horn that rules 1260 years. That represents which Rome? Rome. That represents Papal Rome. And Papal Rome falls which date? 1798. Now, immediately after speaking about the work of the little horn, we have this passage that is found in your material. Uh, This passage, Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Let's uh, read that very quickly. It says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And then it says, the court was seated and the books were opened. Where is this scene taking place? It's taking place in heaven where the angels are. Ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. This is taking place in the presence of God. Now, is this taking place after 1798? Sure, because the immediately preceding verses speak about the work of the little horn for 1260 years. So this has to be happening after 1798. But is it happening before the second coming of Jesus? Absolutely. Notice verses 13 and 14. Uh, The Father moves into the most holy place, and there the judgment sits, the books are open, but now Jesus comes. It says in verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And the, of course the Millerites, they didn't read it real carefully because the clouds of heaven meant the second coming of Jesus, according to their way of thinking. But clearly the text says, he came where? He came to the Ancient of Days. Where did the Ancient of Days go? into the most holy place. And they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So very clearly in Daniel 7, we have two clear points of time with regards to the judgment. The first point of time is when the Father goes into the judgment chamber, sits, the books are open, and then Jesus comes to where the Father went in heaven, and you begin the investigative phase of the judgment in heaven. 
But then verse 14 says that a kingdom is given to Jesus, that his kingdom would last forever and it would be of universal extension. And that takes place when? At the second coming of Jesus Christ. So very clearly, in the last part of Daniel 7, you see that the judgment is not one event, as is assumed by most Christians. See, most Christians, the judgment is when Jesus comes to punish the wicked and to take his people home. The Adventist church is unique in the sense that we believe that before that executive state uh, segment of the judgment, you have an investigative stage of the judgment. And Daniel 7, the last portion of the chapter, makes it very clear that you have one part of the judgment in heaven where the Father and Jesus are, and they're opening the books to examine the records, and then you have the moment when Jesus Christ is given the kingdom and he establishes a kingdom that will rule forever and that will be universal in extension. Now that is the introduction to the second book in the book of Daniel, the portion that deals with the judgment. Now notice Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. It says here, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Which book is this talking about? Um, all of the book of Daniel? Uh, no. This is talking about the book within the book. <laughs> the portion that has to do with the judgment. And that's what we're going to take a look at. Now, was it going to be sealed forever? No, it says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until. Is there a point after which the book is going to be opened? Of course. Until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now, what I want us to study in the next few minutes is that this book, which was sealed till the time of the end, is not the totality of the book of Daniel. It is the portion of Daniel that has to do with the 2300 days and the judgment. Uh, now, we're going to give four reasons for this. And... Uh, You'll notice here in your material, I have them written out. Uh, it's very important that we understand what we're going to study in the next few minutes and what we're going to study in the second session because Revelation chapter 10 deals with this same book. Unless we understand what this book is, what the central theme of the book is, uh, we're not going to really understand what's going on in Revelation chapter 10 because Revelation 10 is the time of the end when the book is unsealed. See, Daniel 12, verse 4 says, you know, close the book, seal it until the time of the end. Uh, but at the time of the end, the book is going to be unsealed and knowledge is going to be increased. Well, the question is, where does the Bible tell us that that book was unsealed? Well, in Revelation chapter 10. It speaks about a little book that was opened and the angel descends from heaven with the book open in his hand. That's the moment when the little book is opened. So unless we know what the little book contains... We're not going to really know the meaning of the opening of the little book in Revelation chapter 10. Now, I'm going to give you four reasons why this little book is not the totality of the book of Daniel. It is only the portion of Daniel that has to do with the 2300 days and the investigative judgment. Let's go through this. And uh, by the way, if you have any, uh, at any point you need any clarification, please let me know. There is evidence that Daniel chapters 1 through 7, notice, except the judgment 
except the investigative judgment scene of Daniel 7, 13, and 14, was understood to a great degree long before the time of the end. Notice, for example, the words of an early church father. His name is Hippolytus, and he wrote in the third century. Was that a long time before the time of the end? I would say so, at least um, 1,600 years. Now, notice what he had to say, and you tell me if he was on target. Tell me if he understood Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. In speaking of a lioness from the sea, Daniel meant the rising of the kingdom of Babylon, and this was the golden head of the, of the image. Then after the lioness, he sees a second bear, like a beast, like a bear, which signified the Persians. For after the Babylonians, the Persians obtained the power. And in saying that it had three ribs in its mouth, he pointed to the three nations, Persians, Medes, and Babylonians, which were represented in the image by the silver after the gold. Then comes a third beast, a leopard, which means the Greeks. For after the Persians, Alexander of Macedon had the power when Darius was overthrown, which was also indicated by the brass in the image. And in saying that the beast had four wings of a fowl and four heads, he showed most clearly how the kingdom of Alexander was parted into four divisions. So far, so good? Yes. For in speaking of four heads, he meant the four kings that arose out of it. For Alexander, when dying, divided his kingdom into four parts. Then he says, the fourth beast was dreadful and terrible. It had iron teeth and claws of brass. Who then are meant by this but the Romans, whose kingdom, the kingdom that still stands, is expressed by the iron. For says he, its legs are of iron. Uh, did he understand clearly the sequence of powers in Daniel 7? Absolutely. Even the four heads of the leopard are the four divisions of Alexander's empire. And so this portion of Daniel obviously was not some kind of secret uh, at that time. It was clearly understood. Now you say, but what about the final portion of this, uh, of this dream? Well, let's read another statement that uh, this same author wrote. Uh, let us look at what is before us more carefully and scan it, as it were with open eye. The golden head of the image is identical with the lioness by which the Babylonians were represented. The golden shoulders and arms of silver are the same with the bear by which the Persians and Medes are meant. The belly and thighs of brass are the leopard by which the Greeks who ruled from Alexander onwards are intended. The legs of iron are the dreadful and terrible beast by which the Romans who hold the empire now are meant. The toes of clay and iron are the ten horns which are to be. He's writing before the barbarian invasions, by the way. And then he says, the one other little horn springing up in the midst is the Antichrist. <laughs> the stone that smites the image and breaks it in pieces and that filled the whole earth is Christ, who comes from heaven and brings judgment on the world. Uh, did he understand uh, Daniel 7 quite well? Absolutely, but there's, if you notice carefully what he's saying, there's one thing which he did not understand. He says that the stone that strikes the image on its feet represents the fact that Jesus comes from heaven and brings judgment on the world. In other words, for him the judgment is when? At the second coming of Christ. He missed one point, and that is that before... The second coming of Christ, there is going to be what? 
there's going to be a judgment that's going to take place in heaven. So was Daniel uh, 2 and Daniel 7 understood everything except the judgment aspect? Absolutely, it was understood. But the judgment aspect that there was going to be an investigative judgment in heaven before the second coming of Christ was not understood. Now, even some portions of Daniel 8 through 12 that were fulfilled before the time of the end could be understood before that time. Now there's portions of Daniel, portions of Daniel 8 through 12 that were fulfilled before the time of the end, even those portions could be understood. For example, do you think that people understood the meaning of the ram and the he-goat before the time of the end? I mean, it says so in Daniel 8, what they mean. <laughs> it says it represents the Medes and Persians and the Greeks. I mean, very clearly. Uh, could the prophecy of the 70 weeks be understood before the time of the end? Of course. Jesus said, uh, you know, the time is fulfilled. I mean, he was referring to the prophecy of the 70 weeks. The, the, the Jews could look back, you know, and many of them did, who, who accepted Christ, and they could see that the destruction of Jerusalem was a fulfillment, a final fulfillment of the prophecy of the 70 weeks. So even though Daniel 9 is in the, the book that has to do with the judgment, uh, that portion that was fulfilled historically could be understood. It's the portion about the judgment. This book, this uh, second book in Daniel, so to speak, Daniel 8 through 12, all of the references that it have that it has, like the 70 weeks and the ram and the goat and all these things, have one purpose. And that one purpose is to speak about the investigative judgment. Uh, and that portion could not be understood. In fact, much of the earlier portions of Daniel 11 could be understood. Uh, probably you're aware of the fact that uh, there was a pagan philosopher by the name of Porphyry uh, who entertained a debate with uh, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, and, uh, you know, basically what Porphyry said is that Daniel 11 uh, could not uh, have been written in the 6th century. He said because the history uh, that it depicts of Greece and the Roman Empire is too precise to have been written 400 years before it happened. Uh, and so many evangelical scholars, preterists, have picked up on that and they say, yeah, it was too precise of a history. And so they say that Daniel was written by an unknown author. Uh, in the second century BC. Uh, we don't believe that. We believe that uh, Daniel was prophetic. But it's interesting that this portion of Daniel 11, the historical portion, uh, you know, uh, could be understood even by a pagan philosopher before the time of the end. So the first reason why uh, the totality of the book of Daniel was not sealed until the time of the end is because a good portion of the book of Daniel could be understood before the time of the end. Seventy weeks could be understood. Much of Daniel 11 could be understood. Uh, Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 could be understood. But there's one aspect which was sealed until its fulfillment. And that was the portion having to do with the 2300 days and the judgment. Now, secondly, I'd like, to, like us to notice that Ellen White understood this. See, Ellen White was very precise in her theological interpretations. And, uh, you know, I've read many commentaries on, on Daniel uh, 12 and verse 4, 
And basically most of the commentaries say uh, the book that was sealed until the time of the end is the book of Daniel. Well, Ellen White didn't make that mistake. She was more precise. Let's notice a few statements here. Uh, the first statement, Acts of the Apostles, page 585. She says, in the Revelation, all the books of the Bible meet an end. Here is the complement of the book of Daniel. One is a prophecy, the other a revelation. Now listen carefully. The book that was sealed is not the revelation, but that portion of the prophecy of Daniel relating to the last days. What is a portion? A part. That's right. That portion of the prophecy of Daniel relating to the last days. And then notice the verse that she quotes. The angel commanded, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Which portion of Daniel is sealed until the time of the end? That portion of the prophecy that has to do with what? With the last days, very clearly. And we're going to show that Ellen White was right in our next point. Absolutely right. And she didn't sit, I'm, I'm sure she didn't sit down to do all the methodical study that we're going to do in a few moments. But it's interesting that her interpretation is right in line with it because she was inspired. Amen. It's just that simple. Amen. You know, and the more I study the spirit of prophecy, the more I marvel at, at how, you know, this woman wrote as matter of fact these things. Uh, she didn't study them all out. She didn't study the literary structure and, and, and all of these things. You know, she just wrote it matter of fact because she was being guided by the Spirit of God. Amen. Now, notice the next uh, statement is found in the Great Controversy 355. She says, The message of salvation has been preached in all ages. But this message, she's speaking about the first angel's message, the hour of his judgment has come. But this message is a part of the gospel which could be proclaimed only in the last days. Of course. Why? Well, because how could you preach the hour of his judgment has come before it came? You could only preach it when it came, right? She continues saying, For only then would it be true that the hour of judgment had come. The prophecies present a succession. Now this is a key portion. The prophecies present a succession of events leading down to the opening of the judgment. Let me ask you, those uh, succession of events, can, can much of that be understood, the succession of events that lead to the judgment? Sure. Seventy weeks, ram, he goat, Daniel 2, Daniel 7. The succession of events that lead up to it could be understood, but the judgment could only be understood when you get there. She continues saying, now listen carefully, this is especially true of the book of Daniel, but that part of his prophecy what is a part a part right <laughs> that part of his prophecy which related to the last days daniel was bidden to close up and seal to the time of the end not till we reach this time could a message concerning the judgment be proclaimed based on the fulfillment of these prophecies but at the time of the end, notice her quotation again, but at the time of the end, says the prophet, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the little book. Which particular aspect of the little book? The aspect relating to the last days. The aspect having to do with the investigative judgment. And then Desire of Ages, page 234. She says, the words of the angel to Daniel relating to the last days were to be understood in the time of the end. 
Which part of Daniel was to be understood in the time of the end? The whole book? No, the portion that relates to the last days. And then she quotes the same verse again. At that time, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Uh, those who are presently um, turning their back on the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, and uh, rejecting the Judgment Hour message, and those outside the church that criticize and tear down this message, I guess they would be classified with the wicked. According, yes, according to this, it says, The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. Who are the wise, according to uh, this text from Daniel? The wise are those who understand the judgment, our message. And then, in Manuscript Releases, Volume 1, page 99, she says this, The unsealing of the little book, that's in Revelation 10, the unsealing of the little book was the message in relation to time. Which time is she referring to when she says that it was, it was the message related to time? She's speaking about the 2300-day prophecy. So, let me ask you, does the unsealing of the little book have anything to do with the prophecy of the 2300 days unto 2300 days and the sanctuary shall be cleansed? Yes. That has to do with the judgment. So, when is the book unsealed? When the hour of God's judgment arrives. And then one final statement. This one is quite specific. She says, honored by men with the responsibilities of state and with the secrets of kingdoms bearing universal sway, Daniel was honored by God as his ambassador and was given many revelations of the mysteries of ages to come. His wonderful prophecies as recorded by him in chapter 7 to 12 of the book bearing his name were not fully understood even by the prophet himself. But before his life labors closed, he was given the blessed assurance that at the end of the days, in the closing period of this world's history, he would again be permitted to stand in his lot and place. And of course, this is, this is not Daniel in person, but through his writing, through his book. She continues saying, it was not given him to understand all that God had revealed of the divine purpose. Notice the quotation again. Shut up the words and seal the book. He was directed concerning his prophetic writings. These were to be sealed even to the time of the end. Go thy way, Daniel, the angel once more directed the faithful messenger of Jehovah, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Go thy, th thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Do you notice the number of times that she quotes verses where it says, even to the time of the end, the time of the end, at the end of the days? In other words, the, the sealing of the little book has to do with the aspect having to do with the judgment. So there are two reasons so far why the book that was sealed is not the totality of the book of Daniel. Number one, because most of Daniel could be understood before the time of the end, as we've noticed. Secondly, because the spirit of prophecy clearly says that it's only a portion of Daniel that was sealed. And the portion that was sealed is the last part that has to do with the scene of Jesus going before his Father for the investigative judgment in heaven. The portion having to do with the 2300 days and the cleansing of the sanctuary. That part 
of Daniel was sealed until the time of the end because only at the time of the end, when the judgment was transpiring, could people understand uh, its meaning. Now let's go to reason number three, and this is the one that's going to take us a little bit longer to cover. And uh, I hope that at least you're well versed in, in uh, the contents of Daniel 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, uh, because we're not going to go into it in, in detail. We're not going to read a lot of verses. I just want you to have the global picture uh, to set the stage for our study of Revelation chapter 10 uh, starting tomorrow. Now the internal evidence, here we're going to prove that what Ellen White said was right. And that's what we always should do with the spirit of prophecy, right? You know, I, go, I work both ways. Sometimes I'll read something in the writings of Ellen White, and I'll say, where in the world did she get that from? And do you know what I do? I don't do like a lot of people do. They say, oh, this she adds to the Bible. You can't trust what she says. See, that's not in the Bible. No, she challenges me. And uh, I read it, I say, now, Ellen White, where did you get this from? <laughs> and what do you do when you have that question? You go to all of her writings, right? You go to try and amplify, to find out a little bit better what the biblical foundation is. So you go to the rest of her writings to see if she clarifies, and then you go to Scripture to find the scriptural foundation for what she's saying. I've also had it work the other way. You know, I'll be reading Scripture, and I'll say, you know, I wonder what Ellen White has to say about this text. And so I go, and I, and I look at what Ellen White has to say, and she sheds a huge amount of light on the text of Scripture. And then she sends me back to Scripture to refine and to amplify even more. So we never stay in Ellen White. You know, we, we go to Ellen White, we go to the Bible. We go to the Bible, we go to Ellen White. We, we double check and we make sure that, uh, that they're both on the same page. And I can honestly say that they, they always are on the same page. If we're careful in our study. Now, notice reason number three. The internal evidence, are we, are we okay so far? Yes. Good, okay. The internal evidence that is found in Daniel 8 through 12 proves beyond any doubt that this is the little book that was sealed until the time of the end. Let's take these chapters one by one to see how their content is related to the 2300 days and the judgment. And of course, we'll start with Daniel chapter 8. In this chapter, the 2300-day prophecy is introduced. And of course, there's a framework for that. The chapter begins with the time of the kingdom of Persia. A ram, right? Remember the ram? That's the kingdom of Persia. The chapter itself says so. And then it continues with Greece, that's the he-goat. He-goat has a large horn on its forehead. What does that mean? Ah, it was Alexander the Great. That horn is broken off. In other words, Alexander the Great passes, and then what comes out of the head? Four horns, the four divisions of Alexander's empire. So you have the vision of Daniel 8 begins in Persia, by the way, it doesn't begin in Medo-Persia, it begins in Persia. It's interesting that, uh, you know, the Medes and Persians were a dual kingdom, but uh, the Medes only lasted a very short period of time, and then the rest were, were Persian rulers. 
And that squares perfectly with the picture of Daniel 8 through 12. You know, it mentions uh, Persia, Persia, Persia. It doesn't mention Medo-Persia anymore. Uh, like it does in Daniel chapter 5 when ba Babylon fell. So the book of Daniel is very precise. Yes? Isn't that why the ram has two horns, though? Yeah, the kings of the Medes and Persians. That's correct. But as you go, as you go from Daniel chapter 8 forward, for example, when you get to Daniel 11 and verse 2, it says, three kings shall yet rise in Persia. Because at that time, you know, uh, the Medes have actually disappeared in history. All of the rulers that, that came towards the end of the dynasty were Persians. Only a very few at the very beginning were actually Medes. Uh, and by the way, it says that the largest one comes out last. Right? The ram had what? Two horns, but the largest one came out last. What would the last one be? It would be the Persians. They, they took the ascendancy and the power. Okay, the chapter begins in the time of Persia, continues with Greece, then the four divisions of Greece, then the chapter goes through pagan and papal Rome. Is it following the same sequence as Daniel 2 and Daniel 7? Absolutely. All the way down to the conclusion of the 2300 days when the process of the cleansing of the sanctuary will begin. You know, after the, after the ram, after the he-goat, after the four horns, after the little horn and its pagan and papal phase, then a question is asked, you know, until when is this vision going to last? By the way, the vision covers the whole thing. It covers from the ram all the way till uh, the cleansing of the sanctuary. How long is this vision going to be, is the question. And then the answer is given, unto 2300 days, evenings and mornings rather, the sanctuary shall be what? The sanctuary shall be cleansed. In other words, uh, this vision uh, includes the ram, the he-goat, the four horns, the little horn and its pagan and papal face, all the way up to the time when the question is answered, unto 2300 days, and the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Uh, it's a long period for the vision, right? It's the whole vision of Daniel 8. Now, there are four differences between the prophecy of Daniel 8 and then those of Daniel 2 and 7. First, while Daniel 2 and 7, while in Daniel 2 and 7, the prophetic series begins with the kingdom of Babylon, the gold and the lion, in Daniel 8 there is no symbol for the kingdom of Babylon. Now the usual argument given for this difference uh, is that the kingdom of Babylon is about to pass away. Have you heard that argument? You know, the reason why uh, Babylon isn't mentioned is because Babylon is about to be history. Well, the fact is that this chapter was written 12 years before the fall of the kingdom of Babylon. So, uh, you know, we need to be more specific as to the reason why Babylon is not mentioned. The primary reason is not because Babylon is about to disappear from history. There's a, a much more powerful reason that proves the year-day principle, by the way. And we're going to notice that uh, in a little while. Now, let's go to our second point. Second difference between Daniel 2 and 7 and Daniel 8. Second, in contrast to Daniel 7, the beasts that are used in Daniel 8 are domestic sanctuary animals. That's interesting. Uh, what kind of beast do you have in Daniel 7? You have predators. A lion, a bear, a leopard, a dragon beast. You know, 
the ravenous wild beasts. But in Daniel chapter 8 it's different. You have two beasts and they're sanctuary beasts. But much more than sanctuary beasts, the ram was used in the daily service and the he-goat was used in the yearly service. These two beasts are chosen purposely. You know, they could have chosen uh, bulls, because bulls were offered. They could have chosen pigeons. They could have chosen other kinds of animals that were offered. But God chose to reveal to Daniel two sanctuary animals, a ram and a he-goat, the ram being the animal that was offered morning and evening in the daily service, and the he-goat, which was offered on the Day of Atonement. This strongly hints that the central theme of Daniel 8 is the daily and yearly services of the sanctuary. And basically the theme of Daniel 8, in a nutshell, is that the little horn took away the daily. And as a result, God judges the little horn in the yearly. So basically, you know in Daniel 8 it says that he took away the daily. And I know there's this big debate about the daily in the Adventist church. Some people have made the daily their gospel. Uh, the fact is that um, there's an interesting book that, was, that just came out, written by um, someone who was an evangelist for many years with Hope International. And uh, the title of the book is 508, 538, 1798, and 1843. And I believe that he provides very clear documentation that the daily... Uh, the taking away of the daily means the taking away of the daily ministration of Jesus Christ in the holy place of the sanctuary. In other words, the little horn usurped the priestly duties of Jesus Christ. He tried to take them away. And, uh, and of course, what is Jesus going to do because of that? What Jesus is going to do is he's going to judge that little horn in the yearly service, in the investigative judgment. He's going to be found wanting. Now, third... There's only one symbol in Daniel 8 for both pagan and papal Rome, a little horn. The horn first spreads out horizontally, east, south, and glorious land, and then vertically to heaven. In other words, it first extends politically and then religiously. It is rather clear that the introduction of another beast into Daniel 8 to represent pagan Rome would have spoiled the symmetry of the chapter which emphasizes the two beasts of the sanctuary service. So in other words, Daniel purposely chose what? Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Two beasts. Could introduce another beast to represent two different Romes. Because he wanted to emphasize what? He wanted to emphasize the sanctuary service. This chapter is dealing with the daily and dealing with the yearly service. And of course, the 2300-day prophecy deals specifically with the yearly service. So we've noticed, and we're going to take a break in about 30 seconds, we've noticed, first of all, that the two chapters are different because there's no symbol for Babylon. Secondly, the difference is that you have sanctuary animals, two of them, representing the daily and the yearly service. Number three, you have only one symbol for both pagan and papal Rome, it's because you, he didn't want to introduce another beast because that would ruin the theme that he's trying to get across and that is that the center of this chapter has to do with the daily and with the Day of Atonement service of the sanctuary. Okay, let's take a break.
And then we'll go to our fourth point and we'll take a look at Daniel 9, 10, 11, and 12. Uh, don't miss it because it's going to be really interesting.